Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. I'm Bill Yates, the journal's editor, and today we will be discussing our collection of articles on the neural mechanisms of decision-making. With me today are Associate Editor Michelle Bazo from UCLA and Associate Editor Dan Merfeld from Harvard Medical School. Michelle, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about your research interests? Sure, Bill. Thank you. Uh, I'm interested in the brain circuits that underlie mechanisms of cognitive processing, including learning, memory, attention, and decision-making. I've also had a long-standing interest in movement disorders, such as Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease, and dystonia. Recently, I've been merging these interests and exploring impairments in decision-making in patients with Parkinson's disease and the brain circuits that underlie these impairments in both mouse and monkey model systems. Dan, what about you? Of course, Bill. Thanks for inviting me to contribute. By way of introduction, I'm a neuroengineer and neuroscientist who's interested in understanding how the brain processes information. Most of my research focuses on our sense of spatial orientation, with a primary interest, I guess I would say, in the contributions made by our vestibular system, which is the part of our inner ear that senses head motion and head orientation. I'm particularly interested in vestibular cognition, I guess I'd say with very specific interests in both vestibular perception, how we perceive that we're moving, and vestibular decision-making. Since my primary appointment is in a hospital, in this case the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary, I, I actually have very strong interests in translating basic research to the clinic to improve how we both diagnose and treat vestibular dysfunction. Michelle, you contributed a review article to this collection. Can you tell us about your article and its significance? Sure. So Dr. Trinity Crapes and I reviewed the history and usefulness of a metric that is used commonly in neurophysiological studies of decision-making called choice probability. Initial experiments in sensory neurophysiology focused on correlating individual neuronal activity with varying levels of sensory stimulation. A major advance came when scientists began correlating neuronal activity with reported percepts. So not only what stimulus was presented, but what the subject reported they saw. So approaches in signal detection theory were then applied to understand the activity of neurons. And arguably the biggest advance came with the introduction of the choice probability metric by Ken Britton, Mike Shadlin, Bill Newsom, and Tony Mofshin. This metric provided a way to link trial-to-trial fluctuations in neuronal activity to an animal's report of what they perceive. The usefulness of this metric, however, relies on a couple of key assumptions. One is an implicit assumption that CP will increase as we move further along the hierarchy of neural processing. In other words, it depends on feed-forward circuits that process sensory information and then make decisions about that sensory information. Recent work suggests that choice probability may reflect other processes, such as task constraints and even possibly attention, indicating that feedback circuits are likely involved in determining this choice probability metric. So also, with the advent of multiple neuronal recording techniques, we're now well poised to add sophistication to our models of how choice probability is determined. For example, we can now include the influence of correlations among activity of neurons in populations of active neurons that give rise to the decision and thus the choice probability metric. These considerations have led to a deeper understanding of what choice probability means and have generated novel predictions that can be tested experimentally. And we discussed these issues in our review. 
Dan, you contributed two articles to this collection. Can you tell us a bit about your articles and their significance? Of course. Like any scientist, I'm always happy to talk about our research. One of our papers relates directly to our clinical goals that I mentioned earlier. Yang Wu Yi, a postdoc in my lab, and I published a paper presenting some new methods that may allow us to improve the efficiency with which we measure thresholds. And this is interesting because thresholds are the most common way to quantify the smallest stimuli that we can perceive. And a general rule of thumb is that it requires about 50 to 100 trials to obtain good threshold estimates. And our paper suggests that by simply asking subjects to report their confidence in their decision, we might be able to reduce test duration by almost a factor of five. In other words, a, a test that requires 30 minutes using traditional methods would require less than 10 minutes using these new analyses. And while we certainly don't claim that these new methods are ready for clinical use, this sort of efficiency improvement could enable some clinical tests like clinical tests for vestibular patients that otherwise would simply take too long to be clinically useful. In a second paper, three colleagues, Dr. Torin Clark, Dr. Yu Lu, and Dr. Faisal Karmali, as well as myself, reviewed literature related to the time course with which the brain processes information when making decisions. And I guess I would say the thesis of our review was that decision-making mechanisms may include a high-pass filtering element that is sometimes neglected. And our hope is that this review will accelerate progress by pointing out discrepancies between empirical data and the state-of-the-art models of decision-making, and that by highlighting these discrepancies, scientific progress will be enhanced. A total of 27 articles are included in the collection on the neural mechanisms of decision-making. Michelle, in your opinion, what is the value of this group of articles? So, Bill, I think there are many salient things that the reviews highlight, and I'll mention just two of them. One, I think, is the broad range of approaches that are taken to study the brain circuits of decision-making. These approaches range from functional magnetic resonance imaging in humans to computational models based on behavioral and neuronal data from both humans and animal models, and all things in between, including traditional single neuron recording methods, and more recently, multiple neuron recording methods, including local field potential recordings in human and non-human animal models, combined with sophisticated signal processing methodology. The second thing that struck me when reading through the set of reviews was, of course, how much more we need to learn, but really how far we've come in our knowledge in a sort of not so long time, about 15 to 20 years or so. Many of the issues addressed in the reviews are part of the traditional field of general psychology and its subfields, judgment and decision-making, which has been around for a very long time and probably most famously studied by Kahneman and Sversky. They, among others, explored such complex processes as implicit bias and irrationality in decision-making. Today, we have the ability to understand these phenomena at the brain circuit level, and the set of papers published by Journal Neurophysiology provide some key examples of this, how emotion, value, expectations or bias, and other psychological concepts can be implemented in brain circuits. My hope and belief is that our country's recent uptick in investment in brain research through the Brain Initiative, begun by President Obama, will lead to even more innovation in technologies and curiosity-driven research by neuroscientists, leading us to understand these circuits in health, and how they're impaired in disease states. Thanks, Michelle. Dan, what are your thoughts on this collection? 
Well, I definitely agree with Michelle about the breadth of these 27 papers. In fact, while I've skimmed all 27, the articles cover such a breadth of topics that I have yet to read all of them thoroughly. Nonetheless, I've already found two papers in this collection that are directly benefiting my research that I almost certainly would not have stumbled upon just through a standard literature search. As just one example, there's a paper by Dr. Hawkins and colleagues, and they present data and thoughts about how we might better use data to discriminate different classes of decision-making models. In other words, to determine which models of decision-making are right and which are wrong. More generally, this collection of papers presents what we know as well as what we don't know, and it also presents what we agree on and, and where we disagree. As an illustration, this collection of papers has already yielded a follow-up Neuroforum article by David Thura that discusses limitations of the approach suggested by Hawkins and colleagues and proposes some alternative solutions. And obviously, this sort of back and forth between scientists challenges us to think harder, which always accelerates progress. Michelle and Dan, thanks for speaking with us today. You can read the collection of articles on the neural mechanisms of decision-making, as well as our other collections on the journal website, jn.org.